Welcome to the New Books Network. The book of Revelations predicted it all. I'm not here to listen to a sermon. It is by means of a human personality entirely in his possession that Satan will wage his last formidable offense. You said that my Go wife Go to was... the town of Megiddo in the old city of Jezreel. There see the old man Buganagan. He alone can describe how the child must die. Look here. He will not be saved by the lamb, will be torn by the beast. Will you stop? I'm here because you said my wife is in danger. She is pregnant. You're mistaken. That's nonsense. He will not allow the child to be born. He will kill it while it slumbers in the womb. What in God's name are you talking about? Your son, Mr. Thorne. The son of the devil. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. Welcome back to 15-Minute Film Fanatics. Dan, what are we doing? The Omen. This is a, a, a sort of unique situation on the podcast, I think, because... Well, Dan, why don't, why don't you tell the people what you thought when I suggested The Omen? I had not seen The Omen in full, maybe since I was a little kid, and maybe ever. Like, it was on TV. I'd seen parts of it. I knew about the baboon scene. I knew about um, the, the weird priest following him around. I, I knew a couple. I knew the, about the big wheel and her falling off the staircase. But I said, oh, Mike just out of the blue. Mike's like, we just watched The Omen. And I'm like, okay, is it pod worthy? And Mike said, absolutely. So I turned it on and I was like, oh, it's a 70s movie. Richard Donner. I had no idea Richard Donner directed The Omen. Yeah. Who, who went on to do Superman and, you know, Lethal Weapon later on. Um, and so I watched this movie and I'm ready to talk in part one about my overall take. First, I just want to remind you uh, or let you know this little funny story was I was cutting my kid's hair last night when he was sleeping to look for a birthmark and he didn't wake up. That was just a, that was just a little thing. I so weird, tell you. you know, what was extra weird about your story. What? Isn't it weird how in the first two or three cut, this kid's got a full head of hair, full head, full head of hair. You take two, three snips. You find it immediately. You find it immediately. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't it now amazing? That's, that's the here's a couple things about this movie. I just want to say on record for our pod that Gregory Peck is, is the is the worst actor ever. He's well, no, he's the worst famous actor. So there are there are plenty of people that we that that try to get their start in acting. They have bit parts and stuff. They never go anywhere. I'm sure you've seen movies where sure. somebody's incredibly wooden, and you go, yeah, that's why you're you know extra number three. Gregory Peck is the person who, if you put a gun to somebody's head and you said, write the greatest. 50 male stars of all time. He's on the list somewhere. I oh, don't he's care in the where high, you put. And he's high on the list. In most people's lists. He, he, right. But just if you said, okay, uh, it's been, it's 18. I think I've gone as far as I can go. And you're like, no, go further. He's on the list somewhere. Now, if you had to sort rank that list, no matter where he is, by from best to worst in terms of their performances, he is the worst actor on that list. I don't understand how he broke into that list. I don't really get what's going on behind it but I know for a certainty that he is the worst person on that list. People make fun of William Shatner as a bad actor, but at least Shatner owns it. And Shatner made a whole career, a second career of kind of leaning into it. If you, if you said you had to sit through Shatner as uh, Mike, we got a two-parter we've got, there's young William Shatner in, in Henry the fourth, and there's old William Shatner as Henry the fifth. And you got to sit there for four and a half hours. Or you said, Gregory Peck is just going to read Sonnet 22 
I would say, um, does can I grab something to eat before I sit down for Shatner? Because I would rather sit through four hours of William Shatner as Hal than I would sit through two minutes of Gregory Peck reading a sonnet. So Gregory Peck, all that established, is not nearly the worst thing about this movie. I mean, I think this movie, first of all, it's as scary as a as a cheese omelet. That, let's put that out there. It, it is there is zero zero scare in this movie. I mean, it makes you long for you know Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist, or Hereditary, or other movies about you know young demonic children, but it, it's not scary. But what's fascinating about it is this. And I know I might sound like a crank. It was a huge movie. I mean, everybody saw this movie. It was a big success. And one of the things, as you know, I'm interested in is reception history. Is like, why do certain things catch on at certain times? And I'm being serious now and not other times, right? So there was a time in America where the idea of actually having a serious conversation about the novel, The Big Sleep, would have made people scratch their heads. And now, of course, you know, Raymond Chandler's in the Library of America. You know, you can read them on college campuses. So I think that's kind of interesting because this was a this was a huge movie. But in this movie, what's fascinating, what's fascinating about the badness of the omen is this. We have developed as human beings a critical vocabulary to talk about what happens in art, right? So, so we have words like vehicle and tenor from I. Richards. T.S. Eliot taught us about, you know, the objective correlative. It's like, how do you talk about motives? We know what, uh, you know, dramatic irony is. We know what the pathetic fallacy is. We have all these phrases and words to help us articulate what goes on in art. The one word we don't have, though, that I was searching for as I made this list of tough things in the omen is we don't have a critical word for when people just do inexplicably stupid things in the world of the movie. And I don't mean like bad decisions because we all make those. I mean things that are just inexplicable and, and they would not be done by human beings. And I guess the term is just lazy writing. Would you like to hear some of these examples? Uh, I would. And then I want to, and then I have to end part one. So you, you can give your, but you, I know you have a secret list. Well, here's, I got two lists. Here's my first one. I'm just going through like random things. I stopped my pen. You got a bonus list. My pen ran out of ink. Like Uh for example, the first little scare is they're on the canal. They're walking by the, by the, by the canal with the kid. And all of a sudden they can't find him. And they're like, Damien, Damien, where is he? He was just behind us. And they look and he's kind of like smirking behind a tree. Right. You would never want to have the kid walk behind you. Who would have like a, a four-year-old walk behind you on a strip of land between two bodies of water? You would put the kid in front of you if you wanted to. Like nobody would do that. Um, the way the priest even talks. So this priest is onto something. He knows he's got to warn Gregory Peck. So instead of saying something like, listen, you're not going to believe this. I know you're an ambassador, but he walks in, you must drink the blood of Christ. Oh, that, that worked out really well. That's a really weird, like nobody would do that. Um, the kid screams when they take him to the wedding, when Gregory Peck, Peck has on that stupid top hat. And she's like, he had a fright. He had a fright. I mean, everything, the psychiatrist is terrible. Who would stand on a table next to a railing to fix a plant? Nobody would do that. Any person would say, wait a minute, don't do that. That's kind of dangerous, right? How about when he calls her in the hospital? She's in a body cast and he, and he says, I need you to leave leave there and come to Rome. He said, get your things. Okay, sure. No, you know, it, it, So much of the movie is so bad in a way that you can't articulate besides just giving examples of it. Yes, and of a certainty, I will rewatch this movie. But what is it about the omen that you love? I don't... I don't know. Yes, it's bad. It's bad in ways that we will go on to articulate throughout the remaining uh, nine minutes, if anybody's still with us. But for whatever reason, out of the list that you just gave, I 
I feel like I am most likely to watch the omen. And I think that the reason is this, there's many things that they, they get fired off like rockets and they just explode somewhere in midair. Like that's actually, that's what I hate about hereditary is that it's, it's a, it's a very interesting, uh, charming, scary, enchanting script that literally blows up in midair. And I don't want to go through that again. It's just, it, it is what it is. I watched it. It's, it's done. I feel like somehow the omen in its awesome badness achieves escape velocity. It somehow makes it through the atmosphere because it does, it does not blink. It does not wince. It thinks it's great. It thinks all the things about it achieve high seriousness. And I think in its own, like in its own supposition and quest to achieve high seriousness, that it at least escapes, uh, it uh, reaches escape velocity. There's nothing about the omen that is ironic. That's true. Everybody thinks, and now, I sure. think actually Lee, like Lee Remick is the best actor, actress in this movie. Right. Uh, she gives the best performance in this movie, such as it is. And she's from a character perspective, she's one of the best things about this movie, even though she all she does is kind of scream in slow motion and then get pushed out a window and uh, brood and smoke cigarettes. She's still the best thing about this movie. Uh, for, but she there's nothing ironic about her performance, which is like, yes, it's me, Lee Remick in this cheesy horror film. Everybody is 100 percent locked and loaded and bought in. And I think that that's one thing that separates it from the other movies is one thing that makes it watchable. I get that it's cheesy. I will explore that cheesiness with you. There's something about that cheesiness that makes it watchable to me. So welcome back. And I'm just laughing because I, I'm I, I'm laughing at Mike's attempt to justify watching this cheesy movie over and over and knowing he's going to do it again and what he loves about it. Because this is such a thing for people who like movies is that it's like it's like arguing about like what flavor of ice cream you like or, or being in love. It's like, I know it's irrational. I don't care. You could do this all day to me, but I just love it inexplicably. But let, I don't know. Let me let me give let me try to give you an example. Go. OK, when you go out to karaoke, you're sitting at karaoke. Never, I've never done that, by the way. And that sounds even scarier than hereditary, but keep going. So there's there's essentially three kinds of people. There's people who get up and they do karaoke a lot and you go, oh, wow, that person, you know, they're, they're like an accountant or a dentist, but they can, that person can sing great for them. Then there's people who are bad, but they know they're bad. And all they're trying to do is entertain their circle of friends. And they're the most obnoxious people. And those are like, there's certain movies that again, just blow up. They know there's something wrong with the movie, but we can't fix it. So we're just going forward with it. And this movie is what it is. And there's some kind of sense of irony about that production. And then there's people who get up who are 100% bought and sold. Think of like the person who does total eclipse of the heart, but like really can't do total eclipse of the heart. But it's, you understand, like it's just sold. Yeah, yeah, it is it, sold on it. And there's, there's something about someone being totally sold on it that sells me. I don't think Gregory Peck could not act his way out of a paper bag, but there's, but there's something here where it's just like, um, you know, the, the devil and Atticus Finch, which is, is not good, but is compelling and compelling is not the same thing as good. All right. So what's, what, what's your moment? We like, I'll give you an example. Moments. Compelling is not the same Go thing ahead. as good, right? More plot holes than Swiss cheese. Speaking of cheesy. Okay. So they go to, uh, they go to Italy to Rome, to the hospital where he's adopted the demon child. There's no records. Of course. Right. But he remembers that there was an old priest there and he can describe him. And for whatever reason, the nun who was there 
understands that she doesn't speak. She speaks almost no English, but she understands his Gregory Peck English enough to understand who she means, which of course you couldn't like, you couldn't ask where's the cafe next door if you didn't speak Italian and the other person didn't speak English. You'd both be gesturing in opposite directions, right? But she understands him enough to tell him which monastery you want to go to. So they go to the monastery and there's another priest in the monastery who is who understands somehow uh, that even though this guy was injured in the fire that burned down the hospital that was there and melted half his face off and he had a stroke and he's got a withered hand and he can't talk, who understands uh, that he was able to make his confession. And they all crowd around in the room. It's Gregory Peck and the annoying British guy and this Italian priest looking at this guy who only has half a face with the, you know, with the bad right. makeup and he's sitting there and he can only kind of write with one paralyzed hand. And the guy interprets for him exactly what he means. You know, like he's trying to figure out where the where the hidden city is and what what happened, you know, and the the guy's like, yeah, he drew something. It looks like a hood. We think it's, uh, you know, that's maybe because he, you know, uh, he abandoned Christ or whatever, you know, and like it's it's utterly there's nothing about that scene that makes sense at all. But everybody's so dramatically bought in without irony that I feel like I could watch that. I could, I, I would definitely watch that again, 100%. Well, um, you're a better man than I, because, you know, I think that this movie doesn't, you said plot holes, and there's a million plot holes. Like, here's a big one for you. I want to hear your explanation of this, and don't say there isn't one. Why in the movie, right, why in the movie do the photographs reveal how somebody's about to die? How does that work in the world of the movie? I don't know that the evil demon child has put, you know, he's manipulating events even though he he appears to just be in, you right. know, a four year old boy. Why or is David? Why is David Warner and his ascot? Why why are, why is the photographer and his ascot? Why are they allowed to develop the movies? Which is such a great. By the way, I love that in movies. How many movies have you seen where somebody you always see the guy in the dark room with the red light like developing in in the pail of water? Never again. By the way, I hope Never I again. hope you I hope you enjoyed it because yeah. that's the last. That's time. gone. And then you have to put on a clothespin and be like, hmm. And he takes his magnifying glass out. Like that is in every old movie from the seventies. Anyway, but like, why show the lines? What is that? Like the devil didn't get the devil's in the details, Mike. Why didn't why didn't that come up? So yeah, you're right. There are more plot holes in Swiss cheese, but there's also like there's also like I said, things that people do that aren't just cheesy that are inexplicable. For example, they go to Father Spoleto. Oh, this person was buried. So they have to go out to the to the cemetery and they're going to look and see where the grave is. And they open up the grave and there's like an animal in there or a dead jackal or something from the mother's grave. And meanwhile, the dogs are watching and, and he's tougher than a pack of dogs, but not than Mrs. Blaylock. But we'll get to that later. Um, and so they're there. They're about to open the baby one. And the photographer says, no, no, don't open it. Don't. Like, why would you say no? They they went to Rome to find this thing and they're not going to open up. Like, why wouldn't you open it? I, because it's utterly horrific. I don't know. It's, it's the same reason. Why does nobody believe her in Halloween number one that somebody's following her around? And you're like, I don't, you know, it, like. These things happen, especially in no, but that's different. Horror movie, horror movies run. Horror movies run on bad decisions that have to be made. Like, for example, leaning on the table over the banister. That's just it's a classic horror movie setup. It's not though, because nobody believes Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween because that that you. But 
we nobody believes her and that is a horror movie thing if everyone believes her and the SWAT team comes in and kills Michael Myers there's no movie like I get that but people not believing Jamie Lee Curtis is understandable you can imagine that people would say, react that way you can't imagine that the photographer would say don't open this the tomb because they went there to open the tomb. That was the whole globetrotting thing where they're like, James Bond, what does he say? Like, you have to go to go to Meg Megiddo to find, what is it? Uh, to uh, uh, Bugenhagen. <laughs> you have to find, Bo and they're like, sure thing. And they just fly across the world and find this guy. So that's, that's one of the problems about this movie. Also, let's talk about this. If you want to make a movie scary, you don't play air quotes, scary music. What's with the Latin Oral, those those people could be singing Latin about ice cream. They could be singing about lollipops or something. But no, we're going to put on Latin music. Latin music is very scary. It's very Catholic. It's like a scary priest. Didn't that doesn't that make you laugh? It does. It that's what I'm saying. It do, it does make me laugh. It does make it does make me laugh. But not laugh the way the blob makes me laugh. No, but I am I'm entertained. I am entertained by this movie, one way or another. I am. And it and I'm entertained in the same. It's it's not like it suddenly changes character all the way through. Like this movie does what it set out to do, and what it set out to do is bad. And I get why you're not entertained, but I am entertained. I'm entertained talking to you about it. But again, what it set out to do? How do you make a movie? And this is the last one I'll say for part two before we talk on to the to part three stuff. How do you make a movie about a kid who's the the devil's kid who's going to rise and take over the world or whatever he's going to do? Right according to the poem about the rise of the Holy Roman Empire, he's like, that must be the European market. Scholars have said, oh yeah, okay, thank you. How do you do all that? And then in the middle of the movie, in the middle of the movie for about an hour, the kid's not in it. It's it's these two guys being the Hardy Boys traipsing around the world. Why not just have them look it up somewhere? If the scary thing is the kid who doesn't talk, which is a good thing in the movie, that the kid doesn't say much, why take the kid out of it? It's like making the exorcist and not having not having the bedroom scenes in there. I don't know because he's even uh, because Dan okay. because because like why I don't know why did the, you know it's everything is ridiculous in this movie asking the the crippled guy to write with his chalk hand you know which cemetery they're buried in is absolutely ridiculous. The fact that the other priest can interpret for them is equally it's all ridiculous, but it's all ridiculous in the same way. It, that's true. That's true. And what, also... what, I, what I mean is like there's there's a noticeable change of tone, right? The the place where hereditary fails is it's one movie 80% of the way through the last 20% of that movie is not the same movie. This movie is suspended in the same shell from beginning to end. And it tells you what it is. Doesn't it start with creepy Latin music? It's not like the Latin music doesn't come. It's not like, ah, and the kid is there. Right. It starts that way. And it's basically what the credits are saying is, listen, if you want to be involved in this, this is what's going to go down yeah. for the next 90 minutes. And you can participate in that or not. But this is what this is what I am. This is who we are. The song up there on the screen is Total Eclipse of the Heart. The DJ just called it out. That's what's going to happen. If you want to use this time to go to the restroom or go get yourself a drink or something, please do so. But we're all we all understand what this is. It's act like the audience selects and you opt into this movie. I'm, I'm I've opted in. Okay, welcome back. So in part three, of course, we talk about the title or the the ending or the key takeaways. Dan, I think we've got your key takeaways. What what do you make of the what do you make of the ending? I'm almost afraid to ask. One thing I do like about the movie is that, and I wish it was developed more, is that sometimes a kid is just a pain in the ass. Sometimes a kid is just a rotten kid. Do you ever see the bad seed? 
No. It's it's a terrific it's a terrific movie. Well, it's a movie like this. It's very schlocky, and the premise is this girl. It always happens to be around when something terrible happens, but she's really just a bad seed. She doesn't need a therapist. She doesn't need drugs. She's just a a rotten kid. And I think that this movie could have been more interesting if you didn't know if he was just a rotten kid. I mean, you have to you'd have to find out eventually, right? But um, it it would be good if you held back on the Latin and you held back on the crazy priests and you held back on the on the the bad bad, um, you know, Catholic stuff a little more to just kind of establish what's going on. At least in The Exorcist, she has to go to see a, a psychiatrist and she has to get tested. And she gets like, there's all that in there to make the, the make what's happening understandable. And I think to involve you in the movie a lot more. But I do think that um, it, I, know, it, that, I, think, I, I think that's like asking how the jets on the X-wing work. Like, I don't know, like, who cares? I know. I, and I, I understand. I understand what you're saying, which is that there's a Rosemary's Baby like suspense that yes. could happen in this movie if you were not sure for a period of time if they were crazy or if what they were seeing is actually happening. Mm -hmm. But that's not it's not allowed in this movie for the reason that you cannot have any sympathy uh, uh, for the kid. Right. That, and that right. Which is good for the ideas of the movie but is bad for narrative mm -hmm. because you can't have any sympathy for the right. kid. That's why they have to make like his mother was a jet. And then the guy, you know, <laughs> dies or gets cut off or whatever. Right. Like, which is that this is, this is not just like, this is not a bad human. This is a thing that looks human, mm -hmm. but is not human. I can't murder a child. Right. It's not a child. <laughs> Don't you love how Bugenhagen gives them all the, well, uh, th thank you for deciding to save the world. Uh, first of all, let me give you my condolences. I'm sorry for everything that's happened to you. Uh, second is you'll need to pick up the kid that you've raised as your own for the uh, prior. It five must years. be done on an altar. That, thanks, by the way, for doing that. Um, now you'll need to implant these knives in him in the shape of a cross. This one's going to snuff out his life. But what you're going to want to do after that is go ahead and also snuff out his spiritual life. That's the only way that you can save the world. I've safeguarded this information for as long as I can. I wish you all the best of luck. Could you go with me? Or do you think you could hold him down? Or like, is there a way that we, you know, there, there's this mean dog that's right. I'm sure you'll figure it out. And remember that when he does put the kid in the car to bring him to the church at the end, the kid, of course, doesn't kick and scream. The kid goes like, meh, meh, meh. I mean, like the average kid you run into in the middle of a target is having a bigger meltdown because he's not getting the right kinds of M&Ms. This kid is just like, okay, the kid already had a meltdown going to the church wedding. He's going to go be killed presumably doesn't even make a fuss, but luckily, luckily in all of his skill, Richard Donner shows us the cop come in and we get to see the bullet come out in slow motion. You almost get to see the bullet oscillating as it goes toward, goes towards Gregory Peck. And then we get the moment where the kid smiles in the graveyard. Everything, everything that's, everything that's bad is consistently bad. And I, I'm okay with that in a way I'm, I'm, it's not even, it's not unevenly bad. This movie says, listen, we're going a certain place from the time that it starts and it actually gets there. You don't like that place and I'm okay with that. But it but it get but it gets where but it gets where it says it's supposed to, right? What would you expect in that movie? You would expect the priest to be looking at the chalk drawings on the table and he means like he means of this a specific a graveyard. You go uh 2 miles outside of a town. I don't think you're going to find anybody there. A lot of dogs, a lot of barking dogs. 
which he never which he never mentions. Yeah. You might have get a ripped apart by a dog. No, you won't right, get ripped he- apart because a pack of dogs is no match for Atticus Finch climbing over a high. Uh, like there's just so. And I, and, my, and I, my favorite I, part about that is when he sits down in the car, yeah. he's, 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 he's bleeding from the arm, but he's got yeah. all the dog slobber on his hands. And he, he kind of they take a beat where he grips the wheel and it's just like he goes gross <laughs> and then they drive away. I'm being I'm being hyperbolic to an extent to be funny for the sake of the podcast, but I don't deny you your pleasure of the omen. Like I totally get why you watch it. And to tell you the truth, actually, um, now I'm kind of thinking like, yeah, if it popped on, I would watch, do you want to watch David Warner sit there and watch the piece of glass come for that? Sure. How about, do you want to watch the priest stand still while, while the antenna or whatever it is from the church, the lightning rod goes up and he stands for at least 45 minutes watching it come down and doesn't think to take a step to the left or the right. Sure. I, I like how uh, quickly the photographer stops being cynical. And then <laughs> when they get to the priest room and everything's papered yeah. over, he goes, I could tell clearly that he was trying to keep something evil out. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think? Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed our conversation about the omen. You can follow us if you're still there. You can follow us on X at 15 MIN Film. You can also follow us where, Mike? Nobody's there. Like, Nobody's uh, even there. Our, even our own wives have not listened to the end of this episode. Have you? Now, you have not seen Omen 2 with William Holden, have you? Uh, coming up. Which is kind of coming, funny. Coming we, to a theater near you. We love William Holden. We, William Holden is great. We love William Holden as much as we dislike Gregory Peck. So now you've done something to me, Mike, because in some perverse way now, I want to watch Omen 2. If there were popcorn and candy corn involved, the, the Omen Part 2, is that's the next movie coming up. See you next time. <laughs>